With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. This program is heard on WBCQ The Planet every Monday evening at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Central Time. I'm sorry, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, coming out of beautiful Monticello, Maine. Um, I am the co-founder and camp director of Camp Constitution, which, among other things, runs a wonderful week-long family camp in uh, beautiful Ringe, New Hampshire. This year's camp, 2015, will run from July 12th to the 19th, Saturday, I'm sorry, Sunday afternoon to Sunday morning. And this year, we're very pleased to announce that we're going to have some great speakers, like we do every year, speakers and um, guest, uh, guest lecturers. Uh, Mrs. Chris Ann Hall, who does a phenomenal job teaching the Constitution to young people. Uh, she'll, be, she'll be returning from, uh, she was there last year. We're going to have Garrett Lear, the Patriot Pastor, as another instructor, and he may even bring his... Uh, Working musket, and we'll have a musket um, a musket demonstration we had last year. And uh, we're very pleased to have, for the first time at our camp this year, uh, will be Tom Deweese, who's the president and founder of the American Policy Center. Tom, are you there? I'm here, Hal. Well, I'm yeah. very I'm I'm honored and pleased that um, we're able to have you on our show. And now, Tom, uh, I'm just going to give you a quick little introduction. And then, Phil, when I finish, you can add whatever you like about your background. But Tom uh, is one of the, I'd say, the one of the voices. That, well, he was a voice in the wilderness along with uh, a few other groups uh, fighting Agenda 21 back in the 1990s. He's probably one of the nation's uh, foremost experts on this, expert on the subject, as well as many other issues, Common Core, uh, the uh, the reasons why Article 5 Convention is a bad idea, uh, UN treaties, and so forth. So uh, welcome to the show, and uh, tell us a little about, about yourself and your organization. All right. Well, you know, my organization is American Policy Center. Uh, we've been around since about 1986. And uh, as you said, we've been working on the uh, the Agenda 21 issue since really from the, from the beginning. I started working directly with Henry Lamb, who is uh, – basically the man who discovered it and started teaching the rest of us about it. And uh, we put on 10 national conferences uh, under the guise of uh, Freedom 21 to train people to fight it and so forth. We, we work on uh, not only that issue, and you know, protection of private property rights, but uh, we've been heavily involved in fighting for uh, personal privacy rights and fighting all the changes that are going on in the education system, uh, fighting those since the 90s, and uh, illegal immigration, all those kind of things. I, I, you know, I, like you, I believe that all this stuff comes together under one umbrella, and uh, one thing leads to the other. And But I, I think Agenda 21 is the agenda for all of it. it they call it a comprehensive blueprint. And 
uh, if we can stop it, I think we can stop a lot of the rest of it. Well, let's uh, give the listeners a little background on Agenda 21. Now, I've uh, this show broadcast out of Maine, where we had a very great victory about four years ago, uh, something called Gateway One that was uh, defunded by the state of Maine, thanks to some patriots who just simply approached the governor, uh, LePage, who got reelected, and he said, oh, I don't like this, and he defunded it. The organization Gateway One still exists, and I've given numerous presentations in the state. I actually think you came up to Maine, what, in 06, 07, um, along with Dr. Kaufman, Michael Kaufman, and uh, a few other people, right? I believe we did, yeah. Yes, I think that was uh, sort of an early, uh, lots of people became aware of it. Because a lot of people, folks didn't even know what it was. Um, so give a little background on Agenda 21, how it impacts not just people will say, well, that's not, that's not in my neighborhood. I would probably beg to differ. So give us a little background on Agenda 21. Yeah, well, this uh, Agenda 21 came together as a culmination of a lot of other things. Uh, as I said, we were working on these things earlier than even 92 when Agenda 21 was introduced. Uh, there's a bunch of non-governmental organizations that work inside the UN as a uh, uh, official, that's an official designation. That's not just anybody. You have to be designated as an NGO. And they're able to work in the back rooms and uh, come up with plans. And now, when, when you're an NGO, when your group is an NGO, the UN is, you basically have to agree with the founding principles of the organization in order to be granted such a status. Yeah, there's a, a big application you have to fill out and uh, the NGO status is actually mentioned in the charter so it is an official designation what happens is NGOs basically get equal uh, level with uh, influence with elected officials and heads of state and uh, not heads of state but but other representatives inside the UN process so uh, they are serious actors there and and there are movements inside the UN to create a uh, I think what they call it the Council of the People or something like that and they uh, that would be our representatives in the world would now be instead of your elected officials that under their idea would be these NGO groups the Sierra Club the Nature Conservancy the Audubon Society uh, you know uh, the National Education Association, all these groups are these NGO groups. Well, anyway, they, they work in the back scenes and they put these documents together that end up uh, being presented at these big international conferences uh, where the heads of state come and they sign on to them with great fanfare and uh, say, yeah, we're all for this. Well, they put their private uh, uh, ideas, agendas in there and these Radical environmental groups, particularly, uh, and, and, and very socialist groups, have this idea of creating global governance and uh, making all the decisions for our lives. And step by step, through several of these uh, meetings, they put together a document that was introduced in 1992 at the Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro that uh, was called Agenda 21, Agenda for the 21st Century, a blueprint. Uh, in fact, the proponents of this have continuously called it a comprehensive blueprint, and it is for the reorganization of human society. Uh, you know, if you go back and you find the communists, uh, the Soviet Union, and so forth, uh, tried to, you know, sell communism to us by telling us about the genius of Karl Marx. We weren't buying it. It didn't. Uh, we, we didn't take it. But 
the idea came about of environmental Armageddon, that uh, if we uh, don't start protecting the environment, then we'll have no world to stand on. doesn't matter how many liberties you think you have. The, uh, and this became the mantra for it, environmental Armageddon, the excuse. And, but yet what Agenda 21 really talks about, if you, if you look in the, uh, the chapters of it, you, you've got chapters on empowering women, on labor unions, on young people, on education. What does that have to do with the environment? Because it's well, not yeah, I, re- the I remember the, uh, one, of the NG- one of the NGOs, um, not the Audubon Society, but one of the big environmental organizations, had a little, rep- a little pamphlet called Empowering Women. And I'm thinking, well, what does this have to do with the environment? And, and the bottom line is that having too many children is a is a serious threat for overpopulation in, in their minds. So the idea is to destroy the family, you know, the, the, the concept of mother, father, children. And that's what the empowered women comes from. Yeah, exactly. And, and of course, you mentioned population. Uh, this is a major tenet of, uh, of, of their plan, of Agenda 21. Uh, they, the Nature some Conservancy. Of them. I'm sorry, the Nature Conservancy. That was the group I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, they're, they're, they are the largest of these NGO groups, and uh, you know, they, they really are massively wealthy from, from all these uh, activities that they've been involved in. But... Um, yeah, I mean, the population, they're looking at, uh, they want to reduce the population. In some cases, as, uh, I've heard some di- uh, numbers as low as two or 300 uh, million people in the world. Uh, you know, they, they, and they, they want everything to be wilderness, and, and they keep talking about uh, we need to live on less. They have attacked the United States particularly, but any of the industrialized world uh, that we cannot uphold the, the, this kind of industrialization or this kind of development, and you've got to live on less. And if you if you follow their ideas step by step by step, they're pushing us backwards. And uh, we used to laugh in the 70s about them, and we'd say uh, environmentalists, you know, uh, they're cave dwellers, and. Uh, uh, let them freeze in the dark. But now they want all of us to freeze in the dark in the cave. Um, Murray Strong was one of the key players at the Rio conference, and I believe he made a speech in front of this session. It was thousands of people, what, 25,000, 30,000 50, people? 50,000 people. <clears throat> 50,000. And he claimed the biggest threat to the United States isn't uh, isn't the nuclear missiles being pointed at us. So, I mean, the biggest threat to the world it's the American middle class. Yeah. And, and yet, nobody seemed to refute him. I mean, most Americans applauded him for saying that. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and you see this attack on the middle class today. Uh, all these policies to, to destroy the middle class. And, uh, I mean, they, they keep talking about the 1%, but that middle class is, is in those numbers. And, and Obama's talking about raising taxes on the wealthy, and we're going to help the middle class. Well, what do they call the middle class? The, if you're earning a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, you're not wealthy. You're in the middle class. And, uh, but that's where they, they, they you know, focus on, on taxing. The attack through Agenda 21 and through these other policies that they put together are all on capitalism, all on free markets, uh, that that is all, uh, just as you said, uh, Marie Strong was saying, this, this is the enemy. This is what we've got to get away with. I challenge anybody to take all of the words that they have said, all of the agenda that they've put together, and tell me the difference between that and Marxism because I can't find it. It's an attack on private property. It's an attack on free markets. It's an attack on the middle class. 
And uh, that is what they're putting in place here using the excuse of the environment. As soon as they came up with that, then Americans who had refused to give up liberties under communism started to uh, say, oh, well, we've, we've got to do it. And they started throwing their liberties on the bonfire like a good old-fashioned book burning. And that's what we continue to do. And what's, what's the result of that? We are getting poorer. The middle class is beginning to disappear. We have more strife. We have more trouble in, the, in our lives. Uh, and it's all as this encroachment comes on. Uh, property rights are disappearing, private property. And uh, step by step, it's being put in place. Well, what happened here, uh, just to carry it out, I mean, people say, you know, oh, come on. They started using the term where it used to be a comprehensive blueprint. Now it's an innocuous 20-year-old document that hasn't got any teeth, doesn't mean anything. Right. And what's your worried? What are you worried about? Uh, well, and, it's, it, well it's, it's interesting that uh, they'll say that, that 50,000 people from all over the world got down to Rio de Janeiro and they sat around and threw uh, balloons out of hotel windows, water balloons. No, they had an agenda. And I think the fact that it wasn't a treaty or an agreement makes it more dangerous. It's what they call soft law. So now George Bush signed it. Daddy Bush signed it. He came back to the United States and said, our, government, our federal government's going to implement this. And they started to do that. And Bill Clinton, did he set up the, what, the Office of Sustainable Development? The White House the, Office the of Sustainable The President's Council on Sustainable Development. And then he did set up a, uh, an Office of Environmental Quality, I believe. It was, it and and and, uh, and he hired the American Planning Association to come up with a way to implement Agenda 21 locally, all over the United States. Yeah, every single city in America practically has one of their now, chapters working there. Can yeah. you give me some names of some of the players in the United States, some of the top people that may be known to the listeners? Of course, this shows all over all over the world, but uh, and this is a worldwide problem. But most of the focus is in the industrialized nations, the nations like the United States um, and Western Europe nations, Western European nations. Uh, but can you give us the name of some of the uh, top proponents of the Agenda 21 in, in this country? Well, I'll tell you, it, it's it's almost universal uh, in, in elected officials that are, are putting these places, things in place. Of course, the uh, uh, the governor of uh, New York uh, State, uh, Cuomo, is one of the worst. One of the top uh, guys, yes. One of the top guys in putting that in place. And uh, and his uh, background is with the HUD, Housing, Housing and Urban Development, yeah. a, federal, a federal entity, which should have been abolished, uh, abolished many years ago. And that is one of the key organizations that's implementing this in communities all over the country. Yeah, they, they uh, have, in fact, one of the runner-up meetings that I was talking about, HUD, I mean, um, uh, uh, what was it called? Um, my mind just went blank. Habitat 2. Um, I've got a document that was a draft document that was prepared by HUD for Habitat 2, which was one of the runner-ups to uh, eventually becoming Agenda 21, uh, talking about how we need to eliminate roads and scrape up the asphalt and turn it in somehow turn it into fertilizer mm -hmm. and uh, having tool sheds and uh, for farming implements and uh, you know everything is a collective farm. That's where our food will come from. If you look at these plans. For smart growth, for what uh, you know, how they want the cities to end up, you end up with these massive mega cities where, and uh, out in the rural areas, there's nothing. And what are the farms? The farms are areas right around the edges of that smart growth boundary on the city. It's a collective farm, 
and every city is supposed to grow its own food. To be that's what they call sustainable. And I ask people all the time, you know, when we talk about this, do you like bananas? And they go, yeah. I said, well, kiss them goodbye if you don't grow in your community. Uh, this, you know, you're going to live on what's there. Well, this is feudalism. And uh, you know, and, and the other interesting thing here, how when you get into the um, farming of it, um, the perfect sustainable tractor that they promote, actually promote, is a team of oxen. Uh, I've got a photograph from uh, Michigan State University where the um, uh, uh, they were having an ag expo there, and they had they brought out this team of oxen to show how to pull the plow. The photo has all these farmers standing around with their arms folded saying, what is this? There, you may well know up in Vermont, there's a college up there that teaches sustainable farming. They've got yes. an entire uh, herd of oxen. Up yes, there. It's, it's in South Royalton, Vermont Law School in South Royalton, yeah. Vermont. Yeah. Uh, the word sustainable, now that's not a bad word in itself. I think that all of us have to engage in sustainable practices. I mean, you have a business, you do things that keep your business, the doors open, so you have to sustain itself. You have a budget, you have to live within that budget to sustain your financial abilities and so forth. But they've redefined that word. Can you kind of explain what they mean when they say sustainable? What do they mean by it? The Agenda 21 supporters. They they mean uh, less, less energy, uh, less uh, you know, less of everything. Uh, you know, as, as I said before, cutting back on on energy use, cutting back on uh, any kind of development, getting rid of cars, anything like that. It's it's all designed supposedly to cut back our carbon footprint. But the fact is, if you if you don't have a carbon footprint, you're dead. You're dead. So, that's correct. You, know, yes. you live on the earth. That's what happens. And uh, but they want everything completely zero, that nothing happens. So it's it's less industry less uh, of everything that makes our lives uh, better. Uh, it's the reason, you know, our, our development and our, our science and, and health care and everything in the past is, is the reason why we live longer than we used to and aren't dead at 40. And, uh, of course, all those things go against what they call sustainable. Uh, the, it's all based on the earth, whether the earth is sustainable, not people, not communities, not human civilization. And, uh, you know, if you're talking about sustainable, the most sustainable uh, industry we have is the timber industry, for example, because they know if they go in and clear cut and cut everything down, you know, their product's going to last 10 days. If, but they've got to replant. And so 30 years from now, here's another growth of trees that we can go back in and cut. It's a crop, and they treat it as a crop. And they've been doing this for many generations without any help from the U.N., yeah, and if they didn't do that, they wouldn't be there. But now, one of the things that our our, our friend and colleague Michael, uh, Dr. Michael Kaufman, has pointed out, he's a he's a true environmental scientist, by the mm-hmm. way. Yes. he lives in uh, he lives in Bangor, Maine. Probably been uh, we'll have him on sometime soon. He's also been an instructor at Camp Constitution uh, several years ago. Um, he said that the Northeast a hundred years ago was uh, pretty much deforested. He said since then, because of environmentally good things like coal and oil. Uh, we don't have to use trees for furniture as much or for firewood as much. As a result of that, and because of improved farming techniques and other, other innovations, thanks to the free market, uh, the forests have come back. He said about we're about 90% reforested. 
Yeah, that's true. We got more trees now than probably any time in the U.S. history. And and another thing that adds to that is automobiles, because we don't have to have as much land cleared for all the horses that, that's that right. we used to have to support. So, uh, yeah, again, all these things. Well, you, you mentioned horses. Uh, can you imagine a big city, uh, any New York City or Boston, with horses? Now, I love horses, right? My I, my daughter, my young, my 10-year-old is taking lessons on how to ride these things. But can you imagine the mess that would be there uh, and the, how unhealthy it would be? Uh, you know, the, the droppings in the summertime. Uh, I think I remember reading an essay on that. He said the flies were terrible. The sparrows, the population was miserable. They would, it was just a mess. And then in the springtime, in the wet season, it was mucky. You'd get it all over your clothes. It was, you'd breathe it in when it got really dry and made you sick. Uh, it, it fly. It was a very, it was unsustainable environment back then when we had to rely on horses for uh, to pull to pull the pull our carts and pull our wagons. And thanks to the internal combustion engine, and that internal combustion engine, since Henry Ford's uh, assembly line has become a whole lot more efficient and a whole lot cleaner. Uh, I would think I want to go back to um, and bicycles. Uh, this is another thing too. I've noticed a lot in the last couple of years. I'm driving. Uh, I'm driving on a busy road. Uh, maybe two lanes and a little narrow at that, and I see a bikes a bikes a bicycle stenciled on the street. You know, a bunch of these things. And can you explain what what people see that? What does that mean? What's going on here when you people see these things? Well, what it's about. These are part, by the way, of these grant programs, particularly out of HUD, when a community accepts grant programs from the federal government, which, by the way, were basically written by the same NGOs that created Agenda 21. They went, then went into the federal government and got, got these grant programs. And uh, uh, when, you, when a community accepts those grants for some other reason, revitalizing downtown or something like that, comes with all these regulations. And one of them, in, in many cases, is that you have to incorporate bike lanes in the streets. What the you know what they're preparing for here is that you won't be driving cars. You're going to be riding bikes, and uh, you know looking like some kind of a Chinese city that you you see on the mm-hmm. news with all these people, thousands of bicycles running. That's what they envision. That's what they want to get rid of the cars, making it more difficult to drive on the on the roads because, as you said, it's it's much more narrow trying to get down through it. Uh, they do all kinds of things to discourage you. Now they're starting to eliminate parking spaces. They're starting to eliminate uh, even parking garages and stuff in, in apartment buildings, things that you don't have a car. So, And the idea is that you live in one little area and you go to this, you, you know, you, you can walk to the store or ride your bike. You can uh, go to the post office right there. You live right there. Your job is right there. You never leave the neighborhood. Maybe don't leave the building. And, uh, you know, this is what they call smart growth. And, of course, the excuse for all of this is to cut back on energy use. But let me, let me share this with you. Um, I have a report from 2012 from the American, Pol- uh, Manning, American Planning Association, not the American Policy Association, the American Planning Association. They did a uh, report on smart growth, trying to decide is it a good thing or not. This is the final paragraph in that report. It says, quote, the current planning policy strategies for land use and transportation have virtually no impact on the major long-term increases in resource and energy consumption. In other words, it doesn't mean anything. 
all these rules and regulations they're forcing us to live under now and all this planning, it doesn't work. It doesn't mean anything. Well, they're being honest for a change in one of the reports, though. <laughs> Rare. Yeah, and now I, I tried to download that yesterday. I already had a copy of it, but for somebody else that's trying to download it, you can't do it now all of a sudden. Oh, you, that's you why the, have screenshot, the screenshots are a great thing. And yeah. In fact, um, I just got a wind uh, of a uh, Mr. Mark Meckler, who's one of the big supporters of a Article 5 convention, and you say things are all interconnected. So someone mentioned he, he's uh, participating in this entity called uh, livingroomconversations.org. So I've done a little search, and it mentioned that Dan Jones, the environmentalist that was rejected by, uh, that, that, that was appointed by Obama, had chosen him to be the energy czar, and then he was, because of his Communist Party affiliation, he withdrew his nomination. So he shows up with Mark Meckler at this, uh, who was supposed to be a Tea Party conservative, but I, there was a link, New Hampshire Listens, had a link to the Living Room Connections. New Hampshire Listens is one of these entities out of University of New Hampshire that conducts these Delphi Technique meetings that uh, go around New Hampshire getting people to, you know, they, the people that come, they come into a town and the people think, oh, you know, they're listening to me. They're really paying attention. And they have their little facilitators and, and they, they think that when they leave, they think the plan that's been top, implemented top down somehow some people had something to do with it. So how it's, it's very interesting how it's sort of all interconnected here. Yeah, it does. And those facilitated so. meetings, uh, they'll tell you all the time. We had public meetings. Everybody was there. These are all the these are all local ideas. Everybody yeah. came up with them. That facilitator is trained in psychology to control a crowd and drive it to a predetermined outcome. And if he's really good at his job, when he's done, everybody in the place thought it was all their idea. Their idea. Uh, that's right. Yeah. That's how, it That's how dangerous yep. these things are, yes. Yep. Um, tell us a little bit about ICLE, the International Council for Local Environmental Initiative. Yeah. ICLE was uh, created, uh, it's got the closest ties to the UN of probably any of the organizations working on this. And they helped write Agenda 21. They were kind of created to, to promote this thing, and they made it their, uh, their mission to go into every community in the world and uh, – bring in, they bring in software, they bring in uh, training programs, they train the employees at City Hall, uh, they set the, uh, you know, for the City Hall, for the employees to only look at things in a certain way, which would be Agenda 21 policies, sustainable development, and they, they're the ones that create the uh, goals for energy use and density and, uh, you know all these kind of things. They set those. How, how a community can yeah. How a community yeah. can lo lower its so-called carbon footprint. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so and the communities pay them dues to be a member of of ICLE, and then that's when when ICLE comes in. And uh, up uh, up until a few years ago, up until 2011, they had at least 650 American cities. Their goal in another couple of years was to have a thousand American cities that were paying them dues. And that's when we started to target them. And uh, it was easy to target ICLE because they, uh, you know, they, they had those closest ties to the UN. Some of the other ones was a little harder to make the connection. And uh, that started to take effect. And, we now have succeeded in getting at least 150 cities in the country to stop paying them dues. And I was told by a, uh, a close associate of mine that the head of ICLE USA told him, not knowing who he was, 
that they are terrified of what is happening and what we're doing to them because they can't get any new cities to join them. And wow. uh, they don't know what to do. <laughs> so. Well, what's interesting on their website, their international website, it used to be able to go on the site, mm-hmm. you know, click United States and then state by state and then list all the towns and cities. So it was sort of like, okay, what, are we, what, what city are we going to talk, what town are we going to go into and start, uh, you know, start educating people? Now, now you go to the website and it will say the state and you click the state, let's say New York, and it will say 50 members. And many of these states, uh, some of these towns have pulled out, but they'll still be listed, or at least be considered. And we had fun in Belfast, Maine. Uh, we, we we picked two off in Belfast, in Maine, and and we uh, we would know we were told after our educational efforts that the town has not renewed its membership, and yet they'll still be listed. So we'll call up Bickley and say, "Hey, you got to drop Belfast." Or oh, they didn't like that, and they would drop they would drop it. You know. So we only have about two minutes left. It's the shortest half hour in uh, in, the, in in radio. Uh, so tell us how people can get a hold of your organization. Yeah, um, we're the American Policy Center. Our website is AmericanPolicy.org, and um, one of the things we we are doing on the website, you know, we've got all kind of tools we've created, and and our, I've got a archive of articles and all that. One of the things, as you well know, because you were on with us, uh, we, we've been putting on these webinars on how to stop Agenda 21. And you can go on the website. The ar- they're archived there. They're free. You can go in and watch them. Uh, just go in the, the, the AmericanPolicy.org and click at the top uh, where it says webinars. You can go into it. Uh, and just uh, last week, I did uh, our latest one. And at that time, I introduced a five-point plan on how to uh, combat Agenda 21, and uh, we've got a budget to try to, to raise some money to do that. And uh, if you go into the uh, website uh, and into the archives, you, will, you can watch that program and see what we're talking about. And we've created a second website called apcmoneybomb.com, and uh, it, you can go in there and, and, and see all the details on how to, to help us do this. But um, we, one of the things we're doing is reaching out to the general public that hasn't heard any of this. They don't know what we're talking about tonight. Um, and we have created, uh, are in the process of creating an ad, very similar to those ones you see on television, uh, you know, about the dogs and the cats being, you know, so uh, oppressed and so forth. And people get, you know, very emotional about it. I started mm-hmm. thinking, what about all the people in the country who are mm-hmm. victims of these programs, having their shattered dreams of their property ripped out from under them? And so we have created. We've got a song called Shattered Dreams. We've cre- we're creating an ad uh, that depicts all that. And uh, our plan is to get those on the air and and begin to tell people who who've never heard Excellent. any of this stuff what the victims are are of this. All right. Well, uh, Tom, it's been a pleasure, and uh, we're looking forward to having you at a Camp Constitution this summer, July 12th. Well, I don't know how many, I'd be it for the whole week or a few days. But uh, thank you, and uh, God bless. My pleasure. And thank thanks you. for listening. All right. Bye bye. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.